Welcome to the Great Little Zion Baptist Church. We celebrate your presence here today with us. Enjoy the worship service as you sit back and listen to the singing as it gives inspiration to your soul and then the preaching of the word of God as it gives instruction to your soul. Be blessed as God has a word for you today. Can I talk to you? We family. You see, time, brother. I was talking to my grandmother the other day. Grandma's over 90 years old. So she's seen some things. And we were talking about the state of the world today living in some crazy times. But she said, no matter what you're going through, there's always a name that you can call on. She said, there's power in that name. There's healing in that name. Deliverance in the name. So we just came by to encourage you this morning. Come on, fellas. Come on, y'all. Say it. Something, y'all. Something about the name Jesus. Something about that name. Something about the name Jesus. It's the sweetest name I know. It is the sweetest name. I know, I know. I know. Oh, how I love that name. Oh, how I love the name Jesus. Oh, how I love that name. Oh, how I love the name it's just the sweetest name I know. It is the sweetest 
call me crazy, but I can't explain it. The power that I feel when I call your name. See, it's just like fire shut up in my bones. When the Holy Ghost gets a moving, it won't leave me alone. No, 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 no. It's something, y'all. Something about the name Jesus. Something about that name. Something about the name Jesus. It's the sweetest name I know. It is the sweetest name. Oh, I know. I know. And oh, how I love that name. Oh, I love that name. Oh, I love the name Jesus. It's the sweetest name I know. It is the sweetest name I know. Where's the same brother? Said it's sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. And the Holy Ghost keep on moving. It just won't leave me alone. No, 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 no. At the sound of Jesus, sound of Jesus. every knee's got to bow. So you don't have to wait till the fire come. You can go on, do it now. Something about that name, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the sweetest name. It is the sweetest name I know. Oh, I love, I love, oh, I love, I love, I love. Oh, 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 I love the name Jesus. It's the sweetest name. It is the sweetest name I know. Come on. Something about the name Jesus. It's just the sweetest name. It is the sweetest name. I know. I know. And oh, how I love that name. Oh, how I love the name Jesus. Oh, how I love that name. Oh, how I love the name Jesus. It's the sweetest name I know. Y'all. 
know, when we sing that, the devil don't know what you're talking about. Come on, y'all say that again for me. Let 
Good morning. Join me this morning, if you will, in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 6 as we continue our journey in this exposition of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let's begin reading at verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The next moment, I just want to talk about when the truth is known. When the truth is known. Michael Sawyer professor of race and ethnicity and migration studies at Colorado College, describes the climate of our current culture. He writes, we live in a troubled world. The rise of authoritarianism marks the dominant current political order. The end of colonial empires did not inaugurate a more humane world. Rather, the old order reasserted itself. You see the increased use of what is described as militarism to intimidate citizens. Not only to intimidate, but you see the use of policing policies that protect their unjust behaviors. You see the rise during the presidency, the current presidency, of the oppressed discriminating practices and policies. Rather than a more humane world, it has escalated to a more inhumane world, particularly for certain people groups. Religion happens to be a critical tool to impose the perpetuation of colonialism. Protestantism and Catholicism continue to remain silent in the space and the face of imperial power. Protestantism is the chief culprit in stating opposition to all religions in all spiritual faiths that promote the use of truth in such a manner as to support the production of justice, correctness, and peace. In fact, if you are in one of those efforts, you're labeled as liberalism or liberaled as a socialist or practicing socialism, or you are hearing or bowing down to the cultural demands. But I raise the question regarding what spirit actually exists in the modern church. 
Is it the godly Holy Spirit or is it an evil unholy spirit? John has been warning about the dangers of having a Christian community who preaches love without love actually being in the heart. Racism has never been an issue of solely about skin color. It's an issue of the heart. John had led us to conclude that there are two tests in which one can affirm that love actually exists in both the heart and action of the individual. One, he says, they continue to abide and live in Christ. Christ is the center of their existence. And secondly, he says, they love out of that pure relationship that they have with the eternal son who is both the Lord and savior of their life. When Christians love Christians, says John, several things happen and we found this out in looking at chapter three of first John. What happens is that the Christian who loves another Christian recognizes a need in the life of those. And in that need, they realize that something is wrong there and it needs to be corrected. So in their own spirit, they discern the need. They recognize the need. Secondly, they realize the need because once they see it, they then realize how it is perpetuating and expanding in a very uncomfortable space of existence for their fellow brothers and sisters. Then they relate to the need. They relate to the need because they go and sit where the pain is setting so that they can identify at least by way of some sense of experience, but more importantly by sensitivity, how that person is feeling in that uncomfortable space. And then they respond to the need. They find a way to change the condition of that individual's life. Now John brings us to chapter four to inform us of another test. And that test is that we will be informed in reference to the motivation behind the response to reach out to the need. Since the beginning of chapter three, John has been talking about this issue of action, love in action. In verses one through three of chapter three, he talks about the attitude of action. He says, in essence, in verse 1 and 2 and 3, he says, Beloved, what great love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but in seeing him, we shall see him as he is and we shall be like him. This idea of mimicking is the attitude of the Christian. But then he says in verses 4 through 10 of chapter 3, there's the application of love, the attitude love, and then the application of love. And he says that the son of man or the son of God has appeared for this purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. The application of love does that in the life of those who are being attacked by that which is evil, loving them out of that dark condition into a space of light. Then in verses 11 through 15, he talks about the assignment of love. 
And particularly in verse 14, he says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. In other words, John is saying that when you love God, that love in you stretches out to others and it becomes your assignment in your Christian community. And then he closes out that third chapter by talking about the action of love. And what he's saying particularly is in verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's got to be more than just action. Got to be more, I'm sorry, got to be more than just words. There's got to be action behind those words. And so now John introduces us to what's called the authenticity of love in verses one through six of chapter four. You see, John was writing particularly about two strands of false teaching that were not authentic in that Christian community. One was called the Corinthian, not Corinthian, but Corinthian Gnostics, and the other was called the Docetic Gnostics. They are important because Corinthian was a believer who believed that the world was created by a lesser superpower, superhuman, supernatural individual. He also believed that Jesus was the biological son of both Mary and Joseph, and he was not born of a virgin. He also believed that he was born as Jesus, but not the Christ. He didn't receive the Christ slash anointing until the angel descended on him at his baptism. And you remember those words of God that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Serenthian believed that Jesus then received the spirit to do miraculous works and that spirit directed his life in every direction. But he also believed that that spirit as the Christ left him when he went to the cross. He also believed that he was an adhera. He believed that, Serenthian, that you had to be a strict adhera both theoretically and practically to the Mosaic law. But Serenthian also used as his scripture a text from what was called the Ebionites. And the Ebionites was a very poorer sect of Christians in the first century. They took a vow to remain in poverty, but they also created their own gospel that somewhat reflected that of the gospel of Matthew, but considerably different. It was considered unorthodox. And of course, the most piercing thing about Serenthian is he did not believe that Jesus was the incarnation of God. That's one strand of the Christian community that John was speaking out against. But then there's a second strand. They're called the Docetic Gnostics. And they're called Docetic because they believed that Christ's body was not human. In fact, it was nothing more than a celestial being. His entire physical form was not real. What they saw, they claimed was not real. Just an image or some kind of celestial spirit. And their theological refutation obviously came because they could not embrace the words of John in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, particularly verse 14, and that clause A that says, and the word was made or became flesh. The Gnostics 
had a tremendous problem with that kind of theology. And yet John tells us that there are two spirits in operation. Look what he says in verse 6, clause C. He says, by this we know there is a spirit of truth and there is a spirit of error. In verse 1, he says, you must test those spirits. Notice they're in the plural. You've got to test them and make sure of their influence. He continues to argue with us and tell us, don't believe everyone who uses the name of Jesus or who uses the name of God or who uses the title as Christian. You have to instead test that spirit. Someone had asked me in the recent listening of some of my sermons, why do I, particularly as I'm preaching through 1 John, why do I make so much emphasis on race matters? And I give two responses to that. The first is that there is a false spirit of love currently within our church context that pretends to be considerate of humanity, pretends to care about injustice being done, tends to care about the inequitable policies that we constantly encounter in education, in housing, in economics, in healthcare, in environmental aspects of our existence, in policing, in militarism. And in certain communities, they provide the sort of depiction that those kind of things are not only uh, inhumane, uh, but even suggests that they are not of God, and rightfully so. And yet, at the same time, there is this serious consideration of being recognized, as they show, until you know when the truth is learned. And you realize it's only a perpetuation of love while sustaining the systemic inequities and the paradigms that are constantly used even within the Christian communities. My second reason for talking about race is because the church overall has failed and is failing in addressing the sin of racism because of its own guilt of sanctioning the practice along the history of black and African presence in America via slavery, via Jim Crow, via segregation, even in your current climate, the church fans the flames of hatred and inequity when it remains silent. But weak pulpits breed weak parishioners and people want inspiration over instruction. They want entertainment over empowerment. They would rather see people emaciated than to see them emancipated. They'd rather see them isolated over being insulated in life and in safety. The church is complicit and guilty of these crimes. I'll give you a case in point. In 2019, in the state of Minnesota, a black Somalian who happens to be a Muslim as well was a police officer who shot and killed a white woman and was found guilty by a jury and sentenced to prison time for several years. And isn't it interesting, in 2020, in the city of Louisville, Kentucky, 
three officers stormed the house of Breonna Taylor and only one is held accountable. But even then, when finally the grand jury provides an indictment, it's a scaled down indictment. The officer is charged with a downgrade of a class D felony, which in the state of Kentucky only yields a maximum of four years and a minimum of one year in jail. Now, if he had been charged with the way he should have been charged with that of murder in the state of Kentucky, he would have suffered 50 years maximum in prison and 20 years minimum in prison. You ask why do I talk about race in the context of scripture? It's because those kinds of inequities which are fueled by race agitates my concern in regard to the silence of the church overall. And that kind of false spirit is what's looming around among us. And as John has stated in verse 1, clause B of chapter 4 in 1 John, there are many false prophets who are moving among us, says John. And if we've been listening to anything that John has been saying, it is that the spirit of truth is identified with authentic love for God and his creation. That's what he was saying in chapter 3. Instead, we have loved the world and its power and its trappings and its security. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. And also its lust. But the one who does the will of the Father abides forever. And I asked the church, where are we in the context of that consideration? This false spirit, we often look outside the church to try to find it. But if I listen to John and if I critique my current context to which we are exist, that thing is employed on the inside of the church. Now I know that John is focusing his attention, trying to get us to focus our attention to reject the world who rejects Jesus Christ as the son of God. But his focus is also on those Gnostics who were floating around in the church, that false spirit in the church saying one thing and believing another. Look what he says in verses two and three. Of chapter 4 by this spirit when you test them particularly when you come on the side of the spirit of God you know the spirit of God every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus says John is not from God instead that's the spirit of the antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and now it's already 
in the world, says John. Look what he says also in verse 5. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. So now you've got to ask yourself the question, why does the world not listen to the church? Maybe because we're participating in the wrong spirit. But the authentic spirit of truth, says John, is internalized in those who love Jesus. So when you come to know the truth, when it's known, you know it because of the internalized living of the Son of God inside your life. Listen to what John says in verse 4 and in verse 6. You are from God. Little children have overcome the world because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Verse 6, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Maybe one reason why the world doesn't listen or pay attention to the church is because there is too much of the influence of the spirit of error and not the spirit of truth. But John in verse 4 and 6 says that as Christians, as those who live in the spirit of truth, we are overcomers. And that's what I really came to tell you today. When you know the truth, you are an overcomer. You become victorious no matter what the enemy tries to do, no matter how many stumbling blocks it places in your path, no matter how many traps he tries to set for you, no matter how many lies they tell, no matter how many obstacles or darts, fiery darts they throw at you, they never defeat you because as a believer who knows the truth, you are an overcomer. And that's what John is encouraging us. Listen to what he says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 and 5. He says, whatever, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. I'm victorious, you're victorious, because according to the word of God, we were declared, prophesied to be winners to be overcomers. And as a result of that, we are victorious over false and evil spirits. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 44, verse 5. Listen to how the psalmist declares in the face of his opposition how he's going to overcome. He says, through you, God, we push down our foes, our enemies, and through your name, we tread down those who rise up against us. And John is trying to encourage his congregation, rise up in the truth. For the truth is what set you free. And the truth is what's going to keep you in freedom. But that's not good enough. Listen to how that verse is coined in the Message Bible. With your help, God... We'll wipe out our enemies. And in your name, we'll stomp them to dust. Because whenever I'm living in the truth of God, because greater is he that's on the inside of me, 
Whenever the enemy arise, I stand up on the shoulders of my big brother, Jesus the Christ. And as a result, I am victorious. I overcome. And all that the enemy rises with, I stomp back to the ground. Not in my own strength, but in the strength of him who has called me out of darkness into the marvelous light of his grace. The Good News Bible says it this way, Psalm 44, 5. God... You give victory to your people, and by your power, we defeat all of our enemies. And then I couldn't stop there. I had to go to the New Testament. Listen to what Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. He says, behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall harm you. I'm already victorious, even in the presence of those who are my enemies, those who are evil practitioners, those who are even in my circle, in my Christian community, I am already an overcomer. I'm victorious. But listen to what that Bible word says in the Amplified Version. I have given you authority and power to trample upon serpents and scorpions. And the physical and the mental strength and ability overall the power of what the enemy possesses. In other words, Jesus says, I've already given you not only authority, but even in your physical world and your mental world, you've got power to overcome what the enemy tries to throw at you. That's a revelation for someone right there in this service, watching this service. You already have authority to be victorious. You need to walk in it. You need to claim it. You need to stand on it. You need to take Luke 10, 19 and write it everywhere in your house, in your car, everywhere you go so your eyes can see and your mental state can begin to process and digest. I'm an overcomer because God has given me authority over everything that the enemy tries to do. So what's the message? What's the takeaway that John is trying to get us to suggest in this text today? We got to remember we're testing the spirits. So as I said earlier, everybody who says Jesus doesn't necessarily mean they're Christian. Everybody who says God doesn't necessarily mean they follow God. And everybody who says belong to a church doesn't necessarily mean they belong to a Christian church of Christ. But John helps us recognize there are two distinctions Then I'm done. On one side of the equation is what the Holy Spirit does. And on the other side of the equation is what evil spirit does. So I'll bounce back and forth so you can see both. First, he says, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, because he's the revealer of truth, the Holy Spirit is a director. Read John 16. Actually, read John 15, 16, and 17 is where Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit, he will lead and guide us and direct us to all truth. That's his job. He's going to unveil what the truth is. Whereas the evil spirit is about disturbance. The Holy Spirit is about directing and the evil spirit is about disturbance. Its intention is to interrupt wherever peace and relations exist, it wants to interrupt. 
That's the reason why Satan works hard to keep your relationship with Christ at bay, keep you feeling guilty, keep you feeling like you are defeated because his objective is to destroy, is to disturb. Says John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but to kill, steal, and destroy. Kill your spirit, steal your joy, and destroy who you are. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And we have it abundantly when we are directed by the Holy Spirit. The second thing John says in this text to me is that the Holy Spirit is not only a director, but he's a defender. Whereas the evil spirit is a deceiver. So we've learned, first of all, that the Holy Spirit is a director and the evil spirit is a disturber. But yet, secondly, the Holy Spirit is a defender and the evil spirit is a deceiver. The Holy Spirit wraps us around this awesome verse of Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19, clause B. Listen to what it says. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against it. That means that every time the enemy tries to come and destroy, God, through the Holy Spirit, steps forth and raises a standard, raises a space of protection and defends me against the works of the evil. But the devil is a deceiver. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says that he often disguises himself like an angel of light. And that's how the devil trips up a lot of people in the Christian community because they haven't tried the spirit. Then there's a final thing. Holy Spirit is a director. The Holy Spirit is a defender. But the Holy Spirit also is a deliverer. Romans chapter 8 verse 26 says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray, what to say, but he intercedes in our wordless groans. When the burdens of life are so heavy, when life is so difficult, when we are so traumatized by a moment, and when we go to God and we cry out, but not knowing how to formulate the word, says Paul in Romans 8, 26, the spirit of God steps up and delivers us, delivers our prayer unto God. He works out the groanings that we're saying in our lips and our heart. On the other hand, the evil spirit has an intention to defeat us. And Paul says in Galatians 1.13 that through Christ he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and moved us into the kingdom of God. So as I close, what is John trying to tell us? When you know the truth, your power arises to a new level of appreciation. When you know the truth, your perspective is changed and not intimidated by Satan. And when you know the truth, you keep on practicing the love of Christ. 
knowing that you will always be victorious as you are abiding in him and being obedient to his word. Let us pray. Lord, save someone that calls on your name this morning. Give someone victory, God. Help them see the truth. For your word tells us that we will know the truth and the truth will make us free. Help us to try the spirit by the spirit to recognize when evil is trying to take foothold in our context. Help us to discern whenever the spirit of error is trying to become victorious. Help us to learn how to trust the Holy Spirit. We'll give you the glory and honor. Save someone that calls on your name today. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. It's my prayer that that was your prayer today. Maybe you made a decision to trust Christ. It would be our delight and joy to know if that has been your decision. If you would simply communicate with us to let us know you've made that decision, we would certainly rejoice and be happy with you. We want to be your church family. We want to embrace you and we invite you right now via virtually, but we would love the day when we'd be able to see you in the flesh come and be a part of our church fellowship. We'd love to celebrate with you your new walk in Jesus Christ. We invite those of you who are both friends and family of this church to continue to support us with your economics. We thank you for taking out your electronic device. And as you are preparing to text your tithes and offerings to the church, we celebrate that. You should know the number. If not, it'll be there on the screen. If you decide to go by e-giving on our church website, please do so. Or the traditional way of mailing your, your tithes and offerings to us, we celebrate that as well. We are blessed that you continue to make it possible for us to celebrate the preaching and the celebration of the gospel of Christ. We pray that this was a blessing to you. We want you to have a blessed, wonderful day in the Lord and keep this in your mind. God loves you and so do I. Have a blessed time in the Lord.